and welcome to episode 231 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 15th of May 2023. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hi, hi. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. So the keen-eared listeners may realise that this is once again the third episode that we're recording back-to-back. So instead of news and stuff, I've got this question for you. What are you excited about in the FOSS and Linux world, and what are you worried about, and what can we do about it? Let's start with what we're all excited about. Who wants to go first? Well, I'm not going to surprise anybody by saying Plasma 6. Mm. Yeah, I think that is uh, something to genuinely be excited about. It's starting again, but it's uh, not like going from 3 to 4 or 4 to 5 seemingly. It seems like it is going to be more of a gentle upgrade, more of a refinement than a complete fucking change like before. And I think they've learned a lot from how the three to four went badly and four to five was a bit better, but they also learned from the way GNOME didn't do a great job of bringing everything along with it as well. So I really hope it's going to be a easy, smooth transition with a lot of nice things coming along with it and, you know, rewrite the crufty old stuff and chucking that out too. So yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, I agree. I'm excited about it for the same reasons. I think there's a lot of people who have been around the project for long enough to remember those old transitions. And they really seem to have got their project together over the last few years. And it's really building momentum, I think. I'm really hopeful they don't screw this up. Yeah, I I don't know whether I'm making this up or not, but I feel like when there was the four to five jump, a lot of developers who were involved at the time either drifted away after Mm. or just sort of had enough at the time whereas this feels like there's a more stable crew that's been going all the way through the five series into the six and you know they're not like phased by the whole change sort of thing so it looks like it'll be a very managed sort of change and you know only for the better at the end of it as well. Yeah, and there's a whole new generation of new contributors and new people. All the all the people that you talk about in KD Corner, you know, a lot of those people are from the last few years. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like you'd swear Nate was there for the last God knows how many decades, but yeah, no, he's literally a new import as well. Like, all right, what are you excited about, Will? I'm excited about improving interoperability between open source projects and specifically more standards coming to the fore, where Previously, there were a lot of competing formats for various, let's say, data interchange formats. Things seem to be settling down, and there seem to be groups of projects forming around very particular things. So my day-to-day work, we talk a lot about Parquet as a mechanism for storing data, really nicely compressed, nicely organized, very easy to move between various databases, various front-end systems, various machine learning systems, various data science systems. And this sort of spread of standards has been what's been on the horizon for, for years and years, you know, forever, really, since the internet really came about. And it is finally starting to seem to become accepted that there will be these standard formats in which data will be stored and you can take them between all of these various different systems that you might need to use and it will just work. And I think that open source is leading this by finding groups of people who are interested in solving a particular problem 
and letting them get on with it. And systems don't have to be all things to all people, that we can focus on a particular problem, like you know libraries in software development. Somebody can take care of all of that difficult bit, and then you can just come along and import it into your project and use it. And it feels like we're really accelerating this sort of adoption of various standards. And I, it's exciting for the future, because I think we won't be left with a whole load of dead-end data that, that is now orphaned and can't be used in the future. It'll just be evergreen. That's my wish. I've never heard this. What What is this parquet? Parquet? What is it? Parquet. It's an Apache project that's been around for a very long time. And it's, I think of it as a CSV file. It's a way of storing data in a way which is it's strongly typed. So that you know makes it easier to import into other projects because you know what each of these columns is supposed to do. It compresses. It's very quick to scan and find the bits of information that you want. And it's a standard and it's an Apache project. And so everyone is welcome to implement uh, some sort of importer or exporter for that format. That's very cool. No, no, I've just that has passed me by at this point. So that's great. You telling me there's more than RD files and uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> what about you, Graham? Well, I knew failing would choose plasma. You can choose it too. We can choose it together, Graham. <laughs> no, there's a lot of things that actually, there's a lot of things that are happening, a lot of exciting things. Nixos was another exciting thing. I'm, this is going to troll Phelim. I, I think read only. <sighs> Things are going. This isn't oh, going to be my pick. You're oh. going to ha- you're going to hate what I actually chose. I, <laughs> I am really ex- excited about that as well. I think it's a whole new way of thinking about <sighs> Linux distributions and Linux in general. I'm genuinely excited about it. But I'm going to go with Microsoft. Oh, what adopting more and more Linux, and I'm genuinely excited in that kind <sighs> of. WTF is going to happen kind of way because I see it the only way they can I really think it's move WSL, forward. Graham. That's how it's pronounced. <laughs> I, I think they're going to create a Linux distribution and we're going to have to up our game. They're going to force us to up our game. I think they only have one way to go. More adoption. It's going to get really exciting. I don't like this game anymore. Make yep, it stop. Honestly. And when I was trying to think of these things and... Yeah, sure. NixOS is really exciting. Ain't no one got time for NixOS. Sorry, Wimpy, but really, we don't. But it's not just that. I think it's a new way of thinking that's quite exciting and, and makes me want to play with things like I did in the beginning. But really, I think I think I'm really excited to see what Microsoft does with Linux. Well, before we get a load of emails, they already have at least one distro, CBL mm. Marino. I think they may have uh, renamed that, and they've got one. Like a data center distro as well. So do you mean that they might create a desktop Linux distro? I don't think they will, but I think they're going to have to incorporate more and more Linux methodologies and technologies into into their platform. Maybe to the point where people are spending most of their time on on using Linux on top of their Windows platform or shell, whatever that happens to be. I think they're going to have to become more and more involved in the ecosystem. They already are. And they already are probably a huge host and provider of Linux in terms of people using it. And I really think this brings a totally different perspective on what Linux and open source is in a way that we have to we have to confront if we're going to continue to make a success of FOSS. It's no just point of putting our heads in the sand and pretending that we hate Microsoft. This is the way it's going to be and they're going to dominate unless we find a way of engaging with it. What's that saying about that hero and then like if you wait too long you become the villain? Is that it? Is this is this it in reverse? 
<laughs> oh, I could have said plasma. I mean, come on, Graham, please. Why? Why would you do this to me? Is this is this pick and fail episode again? Every episode is that, Fanny. Okay, right. That's fair enough. I know my place. Look, I'm I'm happy for Microsoft to take this role if they play with the same rules that we all do. I just worry that they're going to do their usual of, well, embrace and extend. It's an old trope, but it's hard to not see them do that. I mean, if they come along and they play by the licensing rules, they play by all the other rules and they want to actually benefit everybody together. Okay, fine. I can take that. I would like them to do that for a long while. And then, yes, then they can be accepted and be believed that they actually do hurt us to the max. But I feel things are changing and I feel like we don't always change quickly enough or responsibly enough to to things like WSL and, and the way people want to use Linux, such as in Docker or however. We're very slow, I think, as, as FOSS people to adapt to the way people are just simply using the technology. Which is funny because we probably got ahead by the fact that we were able to be so quick. Yeah. But I think we're going to be forced to confront this. And that's what I find quite exciting. It's never been more relevant. The future is open source, you know, but the fight's on for FOSS. Yeah, probably right. I don't like it. But yeah, I mean, that's probably a good thing. Because if you're too comfortable, then you're probably not mm. making the effort. And then that's probably a bad. And we're having the <sighs> same old arguments over yeah. and over again. And I think this is going to come to some kind of, this is going to come to, a, you know, Mount Doom situation. So we have to throw what's-his-face into the fire, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. It was a bad bad choice of uh, <laughs> literary example. All right. Well, I'm excited about uh, open-source AI and machine learning. Oh, <laughs> shut <laughs> up. <laughs> no, not really. Although I am actually somewhat excited about that, but I definitely don't want to hear your bullshit about it failing, so I'm not going to have that as my real thing. The truth? You don't want to hear the truth? Whatever, okay. No. But uh, just what I've talked about on other shows as well, just uh, Mastodon, Fediverse, decentralization, that's what I'm excited about. I think that, you know, we've we've tried it so many times with, what was it, Diaspora and mm. uh, Identica. And I think this time it's really sticking. Hey, look, Musk, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah, it took Twitter just getting destroyed, effectively, for mastodon and the fediverse to take off i called it apparently somebody wrote in to say that i called that apparently years ago i wish i could meet me back in the past because apparently i know more and i'm getting to know less but after we've talked about this so many times we don't need to go too much into detail but i do genuinely find it exciting that uh, it's finally stuck you know gnu social and like uh, so many attempts before and I'm sure there's plenty of people still using those old things, but uh, Mastodon really just caught the zeitgeist, I think. And it's not going to be as big as Blue Sky or whatever, but even Blue Sky has to have some sense of it being decentralized for people to take it seriously. And that's exciting to me as well. It's It might be a sort of poor facsimile of the Fediverse. It may, in fact, end up being interoperable with the Fediverse. We'll have to see on that one. But nevertheless, the fact that that is now almost the default for something to succeed, much like open source is the default for something to succeed. And that I find really exciting. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Tailscale. Go to tailscale.com. 
Tailscale is a VPN service that makes the devices and applications you own accessible anywhere in the world, securely and effortlessly. It enables encrypted point-to-point connections using WireGuard, which means only devices on your private network can communicate with each other. Unlike traditional VPNs, which tunnel all network traffic through a central gateway server, Tailscale creates a peer-to-peer mesh network. It handles complex network configuration on your behalf, so you don't have to. Network connections between devices pierce through firewalls and routers as if they weren't there, so there's no need to manually configure port forwarding. Tailscale is available for Linux, Mac, Windows, Raspberry Pi and ARM, Android, iOS, Synology, and for devices that don't allow additional software to be installed, such as printers and other embedded devices, where you can set up a subnet router to act as a gateway, relaying traffic from your Tailscale network onto your physical subnet. So go to tailscale.com to try it for free on up to 100 devices. That's tailscale.com. All right, so what are we worried about? And more importantly, so this doesn't become a moan fest, what can we do about the things that we're worried about? So Will, you go first. Oh, I don't know what to do about it. Well, what I'm worried about is tightening budgets. We see layoffs from all of the Mm. VC-funded startups, but we also see them from big established companies like Red Hat, for example. That worries me. Does it mean that companies will be less accepting of open source, less accepting of producing an open source product at risk of losing profit or losing margin? And so we see just a general divestment in open source. And then other things like what about sponsorship of conferences? If, if the marketing budget is half the size it was last year, where is that money going to get spent? And it worries me that the sort of, uh, I don't know, lifestyle that the open source community has managed to to build is at risk. And I don't know what we do about it, really. I, I think we need to make sure that open source is seen as being a valuable investment and not a cost center. I think that is a genuine worry, yeah. And I think that all we can do about it is uh, become leaner, mm. effectively, and produce more direct results in terms of value for money. And that is a very difficult challenge. Yeah, it's funny because that is exactly my, well, prediction. I don't know what you want to call it. But yeah, that is my worry as well. It's exactly the same. It's like we've seen the IBM Red Hat stuff, and it's a, it's a big worry because all those budgets are going to get drying up, and that's where we really suffer because we don't have a spokesperson to come out and say, you know, this is a really good way to do things because it, it's seen as giving away the magic sauce every time. So yeah, you just hope that, heads prevail and you know they're not gonna throw the baby out with the bathwater is that the term that is the term you got it right for a change (laughs) second language yeah right what about you graham well i've I've said something similar to this before and i don't want to repeat myself but genuinely my biggest worry is still the move towards more permissive open source licenses i don't want to go into chat gpt and open ai but i think that's going to make it even harder when there's no open source data sets and we get so used to walled gardens and software running on websites and a cultural shift in younger developers who are more used to choosing more permissive or MIT licenses and considering because of the history, maybe because of some of the organizations behind it seeing GPL and their ilk as viral when actually I understand that and I'm certainly not an 
and free software zealot. But at the same time, I think the viral nature of GPL is essential for a healthy open source, free and open source environment. And I really, really don't like the continued trend for everything to move more permissive and for GPL to become more seen as a viral damaging license. All right. You don't get to moan about it without a uh, solution. So what are we going to do about that? <sighs> yeah. Change the defaults and GitHub. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Force it to be GPL. <laughs> you know something? Maybe I hadn't thought of a solution, I must admit. But the, the conversation we had about Thunderbird recently, even maybe something as simple as a pop-up, maybe something as simple as saying why something's GPL in the apps that are GPL and why it's worked for those projects, maybe something as simple as that is a good place to start. I'm really annoyed that you picked that because it's actually one of my other ones as well. And it didn't even occur to me at the time when I was thinking of this. And I feel like somebody has stolen the whole sort of idea, what what is good, what is bad. And I think we talked about it even a few weeks back where we were talking about stuff. And it's it, it feels like the bargain that we take for doing open stuff work, it's important that you get that back at the end of it. Whereas the BSD crowd, they seem to be happy to just give it away. And I think that's so powerful to be able to keep that software open because it it, it depends on whether you want to be powerful for the user or you want to be powerful for the developer. And I think the user in the grand scheme of things is the most important person. And you know how I chose Microsoft for the excitement part. And you're right to have some reservations, Phelim. And it would be nice for us to have a set of licenses where Microsoft is winning by using open source software and we're winning by feeling confident that they'll stick to the terms of the license and everybody will gain from their involvement. Is that not the GPL? Well, realistically, if we think about it. Well, I think one of the solutions needs to be better education on the licenses because I think they're so complex and so surrounded by misdirection and misunderstanding that it's very difficult for somebody to make an informed choice there are so many and they are so complicated maybe one of the aspects of trying to fix this is reduce the number of uh, licenses there are yeah what we should do is consolidate them into one new license for each one and that, that will definitely fix the problem having a new standard but the funny thing is, Will has literally just reminded me that that was us talking about Stallman going away for the FSF last time. And I think that is a real issue. It is him associated with the FSF, associated with the GPL, when really the GPL should stand on its own. And we should just not count about Stallman or the FSF. We should just look at it plainly as a license where we all contribute we all benefit and we all feed it back in and nobody gets to lock it back up. And that's what it should be. All right. Well, what I'm worried about is that there's not enough young people coming in to this uh, universe of ours. And I might be wrong about that, but I don't think I am. There are certainly some young people. What age is Dalton? Is he like 15 or something? No, Dalton's mid-20s. I mean, that's that's as close to (laughs) mid-15 as what I would be. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, Amaleth, I think, is 23. Oh, fuck off. I know. He was born this century, I think. Shut up. I know, it's really worrying. So there's two of them at least. Well, I mean, come on. I know, but the rest of us are all just old men. And, you know, that's not ideal. And I, I do think that uh, the, the the people on this show somewhat do reflect the realities of the uh, 
FOSS and Linux world. <laughs> What's that, Sonny? <laughs> exactly. There are a lot of people who look like us, put it that way. And I think that is definitely bad that there's not more young people. And, you know, the, the reasons for that are pretty clear to me that young people generally have gone mobile first and only use laptops and desktops for either gaming or work slash schoolwork and have no desire or reason to use them other than that. And, you know, you can get into the Raspberry Pi stuff and there are certainly some young people getting into it. But um, I'm worried that there's not enough of them. And so what we're going to do about that, well, you know, you joke about Dalton and, you know, I mentioned Amaleth. I mean, that's something I am trying to do. I'm trying to get more young people involved and not just be a lot of old blokes. And, you know, that's my tiny thing that I'm doing on these shows. But I think mentoring young people, being more welcoming, being less gatekeepery about it, being less you know, oh, you're using the wrong license or you don't know what you're doing or you're top posting on this mailing list or whatever. Like, being less of an arsehole to young people, being more welcoming to them. I think we have to do that. We have to really, really make an effort. And these young people might have strange goings-on, strange cultures and with all the TikTok and stuff. And God, I don't know. I'm too fucking out of touch. I haven't got any kids of my own, so I've got no idea. But... I think we need to be more welcoming to young people. We need to make it more welcoming in the first place, and then we need to do outreach to young people to get them into our cult, essentially. I absolutely agree with everything you said, but I think I differ slightly in that I don't think we need to bring them into our cult. And I say this from a perspective of amateur radio. When... 30-something years ago, when I first saw Packet Radio, before the web existed and the early days of relatively early days of the internet amateur radio buffs were out there sending packets over the wires and and over the radio and talking to each other and then the internet comes along and what you hear is oh it was all different in my day sonny and we invented all this stuff and you're just you don't understand it i think if we bring young people into our cult they'll get the same treatment that oh well we were around when you had to compile your own kernel so i don't know that bringing people into our cult is the way to go i think we need to encourage them to start their own cult but with a similar goals and similar values so maybe that's a subtle difference i think it's a subtle difference but a very important one you're right as long as they think the right way we need to make sure <laughs> they think the right way Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to latenightlinux.com slash support for details. 
And remember that for various amounts on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the Late Night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do some feedback then. Sam wrote in to say, I just had a look at the Ubuntu Summit presentation around native host messaging, which made me recall our exchange about snaps of browsers breaking government-issued smart IDs. And Sam wrote to us about this in 2021. As the feedback in the late-night Linux show at the time was mostly log a bug and it can be fixed for the LTS, here is the current situation. 16 months after me logging a bug, which I had done, for Firefox, and three and a half years after me logging the same bug for Chromium, the issue is now gently being fixed for the mainstream usage for native host messaging, so GNOME extensions management will work. Smart cards such as ours, however, require a system-wide PKCS11 library as they are obviously devices that are available to the system and not just the browser. This is not solved yet. I tried to explain that doing this is huge and especially unnecessary hit for organisations like ours that actually do want to support open source users. We have no commercial interest here, just support costs to bear to support users in the Linux ecosystem. So last year, I saw a lot of drama around the Snap startup problem, and I found this bizarre. Do average users really care that much for a 10-second wait after a cold boot? If so, why do distributions that do OS tree upgrades during boot still have any users? And where is the complete outrage around that, by the way? The whole Linux ecosystem pushed Canonical to put resources on this, effectively making it an issue where perhaps it wasn't. Think about most podcasts, some articles, Jim's Rant, OMG Ubuntu, etc., For these other breaking issues, there was hardly any attention. My expectation at this point is that we will see two LTSs pass before we can technically support out-of-the-box Ubuntu again. And this was because of a packaging format switch, not a single new feature or capability involved. Sam makes some very good points here. And uh, we we somewhat brushed him off, I think, last time with our logger bug, and uh, it turns out we had done that. And... There are more issues with snaps than just the speed, which has mostly been fixed. But I think that Sam has discovered something key about open source, and that is that you have to be the change you wish to see. It was the 45 seconds that it was taken to open the Firefox snap that bothered me, so I went and shouted about that as loudly as I could. And I'm in the fortunate position having worked my ass off for about 10 years, to get this podcast that thousands of people listen to. But we all have a voice and we can all rally other people. And FOSS is something of a democracy, isn't it? That if you have a compelling case, get out there, make the case for it and change minds and push the agenda to what you want it to be. And if smart cards are not working and that's causing you to not be able to support Ubuntu out of the box, then you've got to shout about it. And yeah, writing to us was a good start. Presumably you wrote some blog posts, maybe got in touch with people who do YouTube stuff, maybe went to some events, talked to people there. I mean, obviously events have been difficult over the last few years, but that's all seemingly back to normal now. I think you've got to just get out into the world and push your agenda. Yeah, I think you're right. It is extremely difficult to be in a position where you can push your agenda without just being seen as a noisy, complaining user who you know doesn't really necessarily have a, a point. 
it's a tricky situation. You need to know where the developers hang out. You need to know who they are. You need to know how to best engage with them. And how do you do that as an end user? It's a very, very difficult job. I sympathize, but I don't have any solutions. It's difficult because if you take it from KD Neon's point of view, they actually had issues with the way the snap was going to work and they switched over to the BPA. Now, you probably don't want to have to say, well, okay, everybody in this country, you now need to switch to the Belgian government or whatever government happens to be PPA for this Firefox because we need, you know, PKSC to work, whatever. It's very difficult to be in that position. And, you know, as the guys have said, you need to know who to bother. I mean, again, in a lucky position, I've had bugs for KD that luckily I know some people from KD have listened to me say and being able to fix them, but that is a very, very lucky position to be in. But the thing about open source is that if you don't necessarily have a voice, a, a prominent voice that people will listen to or aren't necessarily friends with the people who you can bug about this, there's always the option to pay someone. And again, not everyone is in that financial position, but if this is such a huge issue that basically an entire country can't use Ubuntu out of the box, then you would think that it would be possible to get together enough money to fund a developer to have a crack at this. The source code is all out there. You could fix the bug and then go about upstreaming it to help all the other countries that are struggling with this same bug. But imagine from the, the team that care about this, they go to their manager and say, we need to spend you know, one developer's time for six months to fix this bug. And the manager says, who's it for? And he says, it's for these Linux users. And how many of those are there? Well, they're like 0.1% of our user base. Well, get fucked. But some drunken man keeps shouting about how slow snaps are, so we'd better fix that. I mean, I don't believe that it was us who did that. It was much bigger than just our show and OMG Ubuntu or whatever. It was the entire fucking internet or the entire Linux internet was shouting at Canonical about the speed of snap startup. And that is sometimes what it comes down to as well. I mean, Will, you've talked about this before, about deciding how to allocate resources. You are an engineering manager. You have to decide what the priority is and how many people are affected by things. And you have to know that they're affected by it in the first place. It might be that there are way more people affected by the lack of smart cards. But if you don't hear about that, then how are you to know that you have to fix it? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And if you can drum up interest from other groups who are also affected that you know increase the size of your vote as it were sounds like a good step in the right direction although if this worked then we wouldn't have tories for 14 <laughs> years would we and we'd probably have someone better than sir keith to try and be the opposition yeah maybe we're all just fucked sam sorry <laughs> but at least it doesn't take 45 seconds to start on my uh, <laughs> wife's laptop anymore so swings and roundabouts Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when who knows what we'll be talking about. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.